Recovery from binge eating and progress with binge eating doesn't mean that it's never going to happen again. It might mean that you're binging less often. It might mean that you're having smaller binges. It might mean that you're catching yourself mid-binge and stopping. Like, so it looks like multiple different progress. That is so huge. I see people say, I caught myself mid-binge and I stopped. And then they go on to say how terrible they are because they still binge. Mm. It's like, no, wait, hold on a second. Yes. That is massive. You cannot just blow past that like it's nothing. Having the discussion with your coach after the fact is still progress because, because before you probably would have kept it in the closet and acted like it never happened. Mm-hmm. And now Suffering we're having this, in silence. Uh, this, exactly. Yes. there. Welcome to Tater Talks, two bitches talk fitness. I'm Brooke. And hello, I'm Iris. On this show, we challenge the common understanding of what it means and what it takes to be fit and healthy. We explore all things fitness, nutrition, mindset, and mental health without the fluff and BS. So grab a coffee, get ready to laugh, cry, even learn a thing or two. Let's get into it. Welcome back, everybody. Happy to have you with us. Today on the show, we have Chase Smith. Welcome. Welcome, Chase. Welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for joining us today. Why don't we just jump right in and tell us a little bit about yourself. As much of your story, you know, we call it a fitness roller coaster around here. As much of that as you want to get (laughs) into. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you? What are you about? Yeah, I, I try to like keep this somewhat short because I feel like it just gets longer and longer as the days go by. But as you said, I'm Chase Smith. I grew up in Virginia my entire life, basically. I live in Michigan now, but I'm moving back to Virginia next week. And I always say like my fitness journey started in 2019, but I think we all know that our fitness journeys actually start you know, way before the actual journey starts or when we say it starts. And so I was always a heavier kid growing up and just really struggled with my weight and yo-yo dieting. For years, I remember, I think my first like dieting attempt really, and it wasn't really like a full on like diet, but I remember the first time I was actually thinking about like trying the diet was I was like 12 or 13 years old. My mom had bought a um, Nutrisystem for her. And so it wasn't for me. I always like to clarify, it wasn't like she was buying this for me. Uh, she bought it for her and I was just like, huh, so you eat these meals and you lose weight. Interesting. Okay. So like, that was like as much as like I put two and two together with, with that. And just every year was always something different. You know, I would try everything on January 1st was always like, this is the year, this is the year, this is the year, every single year. And it never was like, I would try something extreme and be on it for like, you know, maybe a month, two months, maybe I think one or two years, I made it like three months total. Um, I'd lose 20, 30, 40 pounds, maybe most. And absolutely miserable doing whatever I was doing, whatever the diet was at the time, keto, Atkins, intermittent fasting, weight watchers, just trying to lose weight just through exercise without nutrition control, like all the things. And every year I would just gain the weight right back and then gain a lot more. Then finally in 2019, a friend and coworker at the time challenged me to a weight loss challenge. She was like, I know you want to lose weight. I want to lose weight. How about we like hold each other accountable and make a challenge out of this? And I was like, okay, sure. Like whatever. Actually started with intermittent fasting um, Mm -hmm. just because that was like the hot topic at the time. And I was like, all right, we'll see what happens. A couple months in, I realized that, all right, intermittent fasting isn't necessary. Like I actually had to learn more about like what, you know, more about nutrition, um, which I always jokingly say, it's funny that like now I learn about about nutrition because even though I took a nutrition course in college as part of like prerequisite to a nursing program and Still then, like I hated nutrition during that time, which is funny <laughs> now that I'm a nutrition coach. But um, at that time, I just I could care less about it. So anyways, 
stop the fasting, learn more about nutrition, calorie deficits, all that's required for weight loss and started working or actually met a coach in April and did not hire him until August that year, but he continued to help me throughout the summer. Um, I was in his Facebook group and he just continued to pour into me, help me as much as he could. And then eventually I did end up hiring him. By the end of the year, I'd lost over hundred pounds, um, was feeling just phenomenal. It was like, all right, this is actually working this time. I'm making this sustainable um, and I'm enjoying it. Like I actually want to keep going with this rather than just looking for the first excuse to give it all up. Mm. That's a nice shift, isn't it? <laughs> oh man. Like I, and that's the thing, like that's why all the other fad diets had never worked. Cause it's like the first time I slipped, it was just like, oh, this is the excuse I now have. Like it didn't work for me. And so I could just get off of it. Um, and so like now, like I didn't have that excuse, which is good. So fast forward, you know, 2020, 2020, I started working night shift again in the ER. And then we all know the pandemic happened. So I was working in the middle of the pandemic in the ER dealing with all that. 2021, I started travel nursing for a while, um, traveled to three different states and was loving that. But actually during that year though, I actually relapsed with binge eating during that time. Um, had a history of binge eating. So I actually relapsed with that and um, really struggled a lot with that. So I had to work through a lot of that stuff, but also started to fall in love with strength training during that time. Hired a personal trainer online, Jordan Lips, and love really him. loved working with him for a while. I knew you guys knew him. So um, yeah, worked with him for a while and he took around my nutrition as well. Fast forward to last July or so, I got into powerlifting and I hired my powerlifting coach and I've competed once this just a couple months ago, probably going to compete again later this year. Fun. Yeah. Super exciting. Yeah. I didn't really have any struggles with like overeating until probably about six months into my journey, surprisingly. I mean, maybe like a little thing here or there, but like an actual like major episode, not till probably about six months in, in 2019 in June. And actually that was actually one of my big like epiphany moments, actually, when that happened, that was like the moment I realized, oh, I can't fuck this up, right? Like this is actually doable. And it was, I was at a work party that, and it was actually a going away party for me because I was switching to another nursing job. And they brought in all this food and I had like a, one plate of food, then a second plate of food, then a third plate of food. And then the next thing you know, they're putting all the desserts. So I had like, you know, a, a donut, a cupcake, a piece of cake, a piece of whatever else. Like I just went way overboard than I normally, I had done all year basically. And in that moment, I actually did think like, this is done with. And I thought I'd screwed it all up. And of course, you know, all the negative thoughts start creeping into my mind. Like, yep, you couldn't do this. I know you couldn't do this. You do this to yourself every single year. This is why you could never be successful with losing weight. You're going to gain all the weight back. Like all these like awful thoughts that were going through my mind. And I text my, um, who ended up being my coach later that year, but Josh, I text him and I was like, Hey, so I just screwed this all up and I just ate all this food and I feel awful about all of this. And he was like, did you enjoy it? I was like, yeah, it was really good. That's why I ate a lot of it. <laughs> and he was like, cool, get back on track the next day. You didn't, you didn't lose any progress. And just for some reason, like just hearing that, like in that moment, it was just like that light bulb moment. It was like, oh, really can't screw this up. <laughs> and so like, that was like that kind of like that pivoting moment for me of like realizing like, oh, I can continue this long-term. Yeah, that is a huge realization. And I think a lot of it comes from this idea that so many of us have or had that consistency equals perfection. Like one day off, one gram of a macro off, like 50 calories off is the end of the world. Mm -hmm. And it's not though. <laughs> not at all. It's really not. So I would love to talk about the difference between binging 
a binge episode and overeating because there's a big difference. And I see a lot where people slap the label of binge on themselves and on just a moment where, okay, you went out to eat and ate more than you thought you would. You didn't binge. You're okay. You need to calm down. (laughs) Yes. Versus a binge eating disorder or a binge episode, because those are also different. So talk to us a little bit about those three things and the differences there. Yeah, I love I love that you brought that up because I, I agree. I see that thrown around way too much. And and people are actually doing themselves a disservice by labeling it as binge eating when it's really not. But basically the difference between binge eating and overeating, I the easiest way I like to describe it to people and my clients is binge eating is when you're losing that sense of control. Like you've gone to the point where like you don't want the food anymore. And you physically just feel like you cannot stop eating it. And it's just compulsive, basically, to the moment like where you're just not able to turn that switch off and you just feel extremely guilty afterward. Now, obviously, you're going to feel that with overeating sometimes too as well. But the biggest difference is just you're losing that control. And a binge eating episode versus binge eating disorder, I don't know all the numbers. I know there's a specific amount of like time. Like if you do so many times per week or per month, it's classified as binge eating disorder versus just binge eating episode. But you have to do it a lot more frequently to be considered like binge eating disorder. And I never actually really got technically like diagnosed with binge eating disorder. Um, although I definitely know I had it because I was binging almost every day, basically. And actually, that's something that, you know, I went and started counseling again this year that was or late last year and that's when it was actually like diagnosed like and actually like something like yeah like that actually was what you were going through during that time but it is something that is professionally diagnosed and i think when it comes down to realizing like what's currently going on is like and the way i like to describe it and you and you already kind of like talked about this as well was like binging is like going to the store and grabbing like 10 bags of chips and cartons of ice cream and candy bars and like coming home into and just eating nonstop and, and even like feeling maybe uncomfortable and not wanting to continue, but you're still going to anyways, that might be looking more into like a binge eating issue. When we're looking at overeating, that is your boss was a jerk to you and you get home and you're frustrated. You want to yell and scream and you're like, Nope, I'm just going to eat this whole pint of ice cream in my freezer. Okay. That was mm-hmm. not a binging episode. That is, you're just choosing to overeat. Like that was a choice. And again, is a little bit of a gray area in between there. And I feel like you can definitely overeat and that turn into binge eating as well. But the reason that I wanted to point out why this is can be harmful for a lot of people that are struggling with binge eating or, or just overeating in general is one main reason a lot of people struggle with binge eating is through identity. And when we are identifying things as I'm binging or I'm a binge eater, then we are constantly putting that label on ourselves. And that's who we're going to continue to show up as. And so it's really important to differentiate that and realize you are not a binge eater, you binge eat, or maybe you overeat. So be very careful with your words because our words are a lot more powerful than I think a lot of people give credit to. And and if you if we want to go down the rabbit hole of like more into like the binge eating and the reasons, we can definitely can, but that is definitely one of the biggest reasons is who you're identifying as. Yeah, I love that you said that. I love that you said that because I mean people do that with a lot of things, you know, like an identity. I just can't be consistent. I just do this. It's just the way I am, which kills any kind of progress because you've automatically like 
okay, well, if this is what you are, then you're never going to be able to change is exactly the mentality that you're adopting when you do that. You know, I've, I've messed up this day. I'm a failure. Okay, yes. great. <laughs> you're a failure now. So now nothing's ever going to change because a failure never changes. Exactly. And really watching that language and those ideas about ourselves are huge. It's so huge. One of my first rules with working with clients is like, we don't use self-deprecating behavior or identifying language where you are deprecating yourself in some way. And so I really nip it in the bud, but like, I do get a lot of people that are like, yeah, I feel really bad because I binged last night. When usually what people think of as binging is really what they have learned through like things through the media. That term is thrown around very, very loosely, I feel. And so mm. I've had clients where they say, well, I'm a binge eater. And I'm like, I don't, I, I don't see it that way. And I've, I've explained like, did you binge or were you emotional and you decided to use food as a coping mechanism? And that's kind of how I will redirect and people go, oh, or I'll be like, oh, you overate. Like I'll, I'll be very casual about it. Oh, you know, that sounds more like, you know, you overate versus binge. And I have had clients that have genuinely binged before. And I think that the language is very harmful because there's a very fine line and there, and as Chase said, like there is a gray area of what is overeating, what is binge eating. Can overeating turn into binge eating? Of course, that's something that I personally have struggled with in the past. And I think it's important to know the differences between binging, between overeating, between stress eating between emotional eating and mindless eating, just not paying attention. Yeah. Mindless eating and understanding that the eating, the overeating or the binging is a consequence of something that you're not dealing with. And so it's really about the mindset. And I really love what Chase said about that identifying language, because once you identify yourself as an overeater or a binge eater, you know, that's something that, again, you want to be very careful with your words. You overate. You're not an overeater. Mm -hmm. yes. So yes, I do find it, you know, in coaching quite a bit. Like I do see it in coaching a lot. Um, and I also see it's usually due to something that is a lot deeper than surface level that people are very, that feel very ashamed to talk about. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a very private thing and it's hard to talk about these things for a lot of people. And, and I get it, right? There's, I mean, mostly with all three of these things we're talking about, there's a lot of shame and guilt attached to these things. Like mm -hmm. we know we shouldn't be shoving down a whole pack of, you know, cookies. We know we shouldn't be eating, you know, three pints of ice cream at night. Like we know we shouldn't, you know, and, and, and I'm even like doing things that I don't like to do is shooting, like, right. Yeah. Like, we shouldn't be shooting ourselves, but we tell ourselves we should not be doing all these things. So then we automatically tie this shame and guilt to that. So the last thing a lot of people want to do is then admit that they're having this struggle and then face it and figure out like why we're having these struggles in the first place. Mm -hmm. So what are some of those reasons that people do binge? I mean, overeating aside, but like binge episodes or binge eating disorder, where does that come from? And I know that's probably a massive question to answer, but no, I mean, I, I narrow it down to four big reasons that people struggle with binge eating or overeating and they, they're all kind of tied together again. And we'll just, just for the sake of wording, I'll just say binge eating is we are talking about one is identity. 
Two is just under eating, under fueling yourself. If you're somebody who constantly is trying to eat a thousand, twelve hundred calories every single day, of course you're going to end up binging because you're shoving all of this, you know, hunger down and you're saying you're, you keep telling yourself, I'm not hungry, I'm not hungry, I'm not hungry. And you keep pushing it down until eventually you're you finally get that plate of food in front of you and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm starving. I'm going to eat everything in the house. Mm-hmm. And then because once you go one calorie over, you're like, oh, I blew it. And so now I'm just going to eat whatever I want. So one is under eating or two, I should say, so identity, under eating. Next would be emotional eating. Brooke already kind of touched a little bit on this as well as a lot of times this is tied to our emotions and we're not using the appropriate coping mechanisms. And a lot of this, I mean, <laughs> Emotion and food are so tied together in this day and age. I and mean, we, we eat for everything, right? We eat when we're happy, when we're at a birthday party, we eat when we're at, you know, a funeral, we eat when we're at any event that's out there, any, and you can't go to anywhere, anybody's house and they probably have some type of food sitting out. We tie food with everything. And so a lot of times when we have these emotions, whatever they may be, happy, stressed, depressed, any of the emotions, we're going to turn to food to numb those emotions in the moment instead of dealing with them directly. And I feel like that's a lot of times people, again, we emotions are like that sappy kind of like, nobody wants to really deal with those. Like, right. It's just easier just to like, I'm just going to eat just to like push them to the side and act like they didn't happen. But you know, one of the examples that I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Jared Hamilton, but um, he uses a analogy, analogy that I love. And it's kind of funny when you laugh at it, but it's like, it's true though, is basically like when you're emotionally eating, it's just like if your son came home and he failed his math test at school and he was all upset, mad at himself. And you said, little Johnny, go sit in the corner and eat the pack of Oreos. Just be quiet. Mm -hmm. You're not going to do that. You're going to say, come here. Let's talk through it. Cry it out if you need to. Let's talk through it. Let's work through these emotions. But then when you're dealing with something emotional, you just go sit in the corner and eat the bag of Oreo or the pack of Oreos and numb the emotions instead of dealing with them. Mm-hmm. So it's no different. But for some reason, we feel like we can't talk about our emotions and we can't handle these emotions the correct way. And so that's when, you know, like journaling, meditation, breath work, talking, having that accountability with somebody, a coach, something like that to deal with these things is helpful. And then lastly, the other reason that a lot of people will binge eat. So we have emotions, we have under eating, we have identity. And lastly, it comes down to restriction. They're restricting something out of their food or out of their, um, what they're allowed to eat. So if you're restricting all the time, if you're restricting carbs, you're restricting fats, if you're restricting sugar, anything like that, of course, the moment you get your hands on something, that's when you're going to finally just overindulge in it. Right. I mean, think about how many people try to do keto, for example, and they think, oh, I'm going to do keto. I don't, I don't eat carbs. I don't need carbs. And they do great for a day. And then the second day they do good. And the third day, they're like, I really want some carbs, but nope, I'm on keto. I'm not doing that. Then we get to day four. Gaslighting yourself into thinking you don't need any. Yeah. (laughs) Or want it. Yeah. I know we tell ourselves the craziest things, but like we all know like you're going to want those carbs. And so the moment you say, all right, I'm going to have half a bagel. Oh, then that shame and guilt creeps in. Well, I'm going to have the whole bagel. And then, oh, now I just have blew it all the water. I knew I couldn't do keto. So then we eat, you know, back to the three cartons of ice cream again. So like we end up just going way overboard. And that's when these episodes are having, if we're overly restricting ourselves. And that also kind of leads back into like trying to rely on willpower. I always use the, you know, explanation of like, you know, willpower is not unlimited. I compare it to like a battery basically. And we use willpower all throughout our entire day. 
And it doesn't always have to be around food. I mean, it could be you're using willpower not to get road rage on the way to work. You might be using willpower not to cuss out your boss when they're mad, when they make you mad during the day. And so you're using willpower all throughout the day. You know, maybe you're using willpower when your kids are frustrating you in the evenings to like not, you know, scream at them. So like you're using this willpower all throughout the day. And so let's say your willpower battery is down to like 5% at the end of the day and you walk past that pan of brownies and you're like, oh, I really want those. No, I'm on a diet. I can't have those. So you walk past them. Well, then later that night, you walk past them again. You're like, I really want a brownie. I could just have one. No, I'm on a diet. I'm not going to have them. So now your willpower is down to like zero. So it's, you know, 11 PM, you're getting ready for bed and you walk past them one more time and you're just like, fuck it. I don't care. I'm going for the brownies. And so then you go in, you dive in head first and eat the whole pan of brownies when you could have just had one in the first place. So again, don't restrict yourself because then you're going to really use up that willpower battery real quick. And it's going to be a lot harder to control that later on. Mm Mm-hmm. The one that I see most often, the two that I see are underfueling and restriction. Mm-hmm. Whereas exactly the example that you just gave where first of all, you know, it's just there. So you have mm-hmm. to look at it and decide every time instead of like bagging it up and putting it in the cupboard and then you forget mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Or you're just not eating enough, which is one of my hills that I'll die on is that people need to eat bigger meals, more food in general, but bigger meals. Stop snacking yourself away all day long and expecting to feel satisfied and full. And actually to add on to that, this is something actually Jordan Lips got me through when I was struggling with some binge eating. That's one one recommendation that was like life-changing for me um, was I stopped snacking as much. Went pretty much like no snacking at all. This is when I was working as a nurse still. And I was really struggling with like during the days that when I was at work, I never, half the time we didn't get a break. I was working on a busy ER, short staff, like I wasn't getting a lunch break. And so 7 a 7 p, you were working the entire time. And so a lot of times I would bring a snack, just a bag full of snacks with me, basically, just kind of snack on throughout the day. And I never was getting satisfied. I was never feeling full. I was constantly like, you know, I was, I would get a little bit of that hunger. So I'd reach for like, oh, like one of the 80 calorie yogurt cups, right? And you eat that. And then it's just like, okay, on the next thing, you know, keep working but I never actually got satisfied. And that's when we figured out, you know, like, I was like, all right, he helped me like, you know, come up with like a good recipe for a good smoothie. That way it could last me. I could drink it while I was working, but I could drink it in one sitting basically and get through that. And then like a quick sandwich or something, just something that way I could have some sort of a meal. So I could have three big meals throughout the day rather than just snacking. Because then that's when I would always usually end up every evening I was getting off work and then binging. Mm-hmm. And so that was definitely one thing that helps. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. And a lot of people operate like, well, what if, you know, they plan all their meals and they're like, well, what if I get hungry? And I think there's a few things to that. It's like, well, number one, hunger is not a bad thing. We yes. we will be hungry sometimes. It's just, I mean, I was in a surplus most of last year and I still got hungry sometimes. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, a thing. But also like, okay, then eat something. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it's not exactly. a bad thing. It's it's what works for you. Like, you know, I'm not a snacker either. I barely snack. Brooke, I think you've mentioned before that you do snack. Mm-hmm. It's individual. It works. And there are ways to set up your environment and set up your food structure in such a way that if you really want a snack, you can have a snack. But don't bank all your calories into those snacks and then be surprised when you're left with like 150 calories at dinner. 
Yeah, no, that was something that one of my clients the other night was having an issue with. She uh, got to the end of the day and and she'd been struggling for a little while. And so we finally got her back into the swing of things. And at the end of the day, she'd eaten up all of her calories. She was actually 50 calories over, like no big deal, of course. And she messaged me around like, you know, eight o'clock, 8.30. And she was like, I'm hungry and I'm already over my calories for the day. And I was like, okay, let's talk through this. And first I addressed like, is it actual hunger or is it something, are you emotional stress? She's a lot going on in her life. So I was like, you know, is this actually hunger? And she said, yeah, I actually am very hungry right now. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Let's actually respect that hunger cue and allow yourself to eat a little something. We can have a snack. I was like, do you have anything that has any snacks that have some sort of protein in it? And she's like, I have some Greek yogurt. I was like, amazing. How about we have a serving or two of Greek yogurt and we'll call it a night. And she was like, okay. And so the next morning she told me, she said, I ended up having some um, a yogurt and a little bit of granola on top. So she ended up being like 400 calories over. Granola is a little sneaky as we know. Um, <laughs> but I was like, that, that was a huge win for someone who normally would end up binge eating past that because they would refuse to respect their hunger. And then they once they feel like they go over a little bit, then that's when we end up having the binge eating episode. Mm-hmm. I'm curious of your thoughts on this and Brooke, you too, actually, because we haven't talked about this one-on-one, but I think another thing people struggle with what moderation actually looks like. And I'm thinking of this now because I, I got a Ninja creamy. <laughs> I am a shill for big creamy now <laughs> because you know, you can't deny the convenience of having a higher protein, low calorie ice cream, especially when you're in a deficit. But I think part of the reason people struggle with what moderation actually is, is because we have this opportunity to make very low calorie, very high volume things. And then people look at it and say, look, I can eat all of this. And then they like eat an entire pint of a Ninja Creamy and feel like garbage because volume wise, they're absolutely stuffed. And I think a lot of times people do that. We have like low calorie noodles, we have low calorie breads, we have all these really great and helpful things, which are not bad, you know, on their own, they can be extremely helpful. But people see that opportunity to just go overboard in a different way. And then they don't know what it feels like to be satisfied. And they also don't know what a normal serving of the normal thing looks like on a plate. Like I can eat a mountain of zero calorie noodles. But then what the heck does an actual serving of real pasta look like? I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Brooke, if you'd like to go first, I don't have some thoughts, but I'll let you speak to that first. Yeah. I mean, I think that those foods that are like high volume, low calorie, the high protein, I think they have their place. I use a lot of these foods. I'll be 100% honest, but mainly in a deficit. You know, I Mm -hmm. usually do that in a deficit. But what I find is when people are really relying on these foods, they're not getting an accurate macro breakdown. So you end up eating, again, like an entire pint of Ninja Creamy, like high protein ice cream. But then it's like, did you have enough fat with that? Did you have enough carbs with that? Because if you didn't, you're going to end up hungry in a couple hours, you know, or in an hour. But what I find is that these foods can be useful tools, but that's what they should be as tools. They shouldn't be absolutes. And I know me, like I'm a huge fan of sandwiches and I'm in a deficit. I use a lower calorie bread or thin slice bread rather than using, you know, like a big piece. But I think a lot of people, they rely on them way too much. They rely on them too much. I feel like they have their place, but as far as like moderation, you know, we all hear about like the 80, 20 rule. 
but nobody actually breaks down what that actually looks like. And I really like to view it as 80% of your nutrition should come from whole minimally processed food. 20% should come from, you know, your fun foods, your, your sometimes foods, as some people like to call it. And with flexible dieting, which I consider, you know, calorie tracking, things like that, quote unquote, flexible dieting. I really don't like the term diet, but when you're in a calorie deficit, a lot of people tend to take that a little bit too far. And so they take it too far to the point where all they're eating are these, these food substitutes is what I like to call it. You know, non-fat this, non-fat that, low carb this, low carb that. When in reality, like there is benefit to having fats. There is benefit to having carbs with the way that you pair your nutrition. And so with flexibility, it doesn't mean that you eat whatever the fuck you want, whenever the fuck you want. It means you need to make some sort of nutritional compromise based on what your body needs. Now, if you like, I'm going to use the brownie example. If you walk by and you see that pound of brownies and you're like, God, I really want a fucking brownie and you don't have it, you know, and then of course, 11 o'clock at night rolls by, you walk by and you eat the whole damn pan. Yeah. Maybe if you've been thinking about those brownies all day, you should give yourself one. Now, should you be having chips at lunch and then cake it after dinner? (laughs) No, like we like to be flexible within a deficit, but we don't want to be too flexible. So that's kind of my little rant, but I don't even know if I answered the question. I think you're right on the money and I, I agree. They're extremely useful tools. And I'm also a big fan of sandwiches. I love a peanut butter and jelly after a workout. And so now when I'm in a deficit, I'm using a low carb bread that happens to be low calorie. Not that everything low carb is low calorie, but it just happens to work out. But I'm still not going to take that bread and say, okay, I can have like eight peanut butter and jellies now and then stuff myself and then feel like trash. It's flexibility. But I, yeah, I do think people can take it too far in the in the wrong direction. So what do you, what do you think, Chase? I am unfortunately one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually very interesting when you brought that up. I was just like, wow, I've never thought of it that way. But you bring up a very good point. I'm glad you did bring it up because I, I definitely do that, right? Like I, I'm someone who I like to feel full. Like that's just one thing I've, I've always been the overeater my entire life. So like, I like being full. And so once I started to learn more about these tips and tricks and hacks to eat really high volume and low calorie foods, I would fill up my plate and be like, oh my gosh, for like 500 calories, I need this whole plate of veggies and chicken breasts and like all these, like, you know, the G huge sugar-free barbecue sauce, like <laughs> this entire plate of food. And I could like feel really full afterwards. And Again, it has its time and place when you need that, but I've done that so frequently that then, yes, I agree. Like, it's just like, now it's like, I look at portions a different way, right? Like I look at a portion, even like the healthiest stuff and the air quotes, people who, who aren't seeing this, even for the healthy stuff is like vegetables, like a bag of steamer vegetables. I'll eat one whole bag with my meal. And really it's three and a half to four servings sometimes, most of the time. So even things like that, like I'm just so used to eating, you know, as much volume as I can, like, oh, it it fits my calories for the day. Like it helps me get to my goal for the day and I can eat all this food and I can feel full all the time, but it has that double-edged sword like you brought up. And I never really thought of it that way about now. It's like, you know, I look at these meals and I'm like, 
these are actually like multiple servings of each thing that I'm having. Whereas like, maybe if I were to cut back a little bit on some of these things, it's like, okay, maybe I can actually see what real servings look like. Give myself a moment to actually, you know, get maybe through a serving of each and see, am I actually satisfied versus having to eat the entire big mounding plate that, yeah, fits my calories. Am I getting stuffed instead of rather than just satiated? I'm glad you brought that up. Brought up a very good point. Yeah. Well, I think there's a few things in what you said too. Cause like, I think I know for me, when I first started learning about calories and like how, like, yeah, I can eat anything I want and actually still hit my goals. I went through a couple months of that where I'm like, look at all of this, like, this is awesome. And I think that's cool because it's a learning experience, right? You teach yourself that, yeah, food has calories in different ratios, different macros, and it can fit. And then you start to practice the the mindfulness of like the difference as well between full and stuffed out of your mind, which is not a feeling that I like personally. And I don't think a lot of people like it, but I think a lot of people get there before they're aware that they're there. And I think it's important to mention that like a serving size is a suggestion when it comes to packaging, like the bag of broccoli you're an individual, I'm an individual, a serving size that like fits our lifestyle would be different for me or for Brooke or for you. So there's that, but also just emphasizing the difference between being full, being satisfied, because I also like being full, you know, at the end of a meal, I don't like feeling like I still need, you know, quote unquote, or not need to eat something else. And just being overly stuffed, like super overly stuffed. And there's a balance that you can find that works for you. When it comes to that, I think sometimes people just lean way too far into the uber low calorie things where they are stuffed and bloated and they don't feel good. Totally agree. And for example, like the Ninja Creamy low calorie high protein ice cream, again, not bad. You know, sometimes I think people... They just eat it because they can and they get to a certain point in the pint or like in the bag of cookies or in the bag of noodles or whatever, where they're just not really enjoying it anymore. You know, they're not really tasting it. They're not actually enjoying it. They're just eating it because it's there and because they can and because it fits, you know, which I don't always think is a bad thing, but something to be mindful of if you're trying to pay attention to how your body feels. And that's... Sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say, like, I feel like that's also the speed of eating too. And being someone who worked as a nurse, I'm used to eating very quickly because you don't get a break. So when you have that five minutes, you're going to eat that whole entire sandwich or whatever in five minutes versus actually taking your time and eating slowly. So that's been one habit. It's been very hard to change, but go on. That's just one thing I wanted to point out as well with that. Yeah. Well, I can relate to that too. I mean, not as a nurse, but like, I think a lot of people like grow up as a kid with like time frames for things like you got to be here, you got to leave, got to go to church, got to go to school and you have to be done and ready before. And I think that's just like a normal thing yeah, to exist in life. But I've, I've had to train myself out of that too. Like I don't have to finish all of this in 10 minutes. I can slow down and, and savor it a little bit. That is a, a skill to practice, which I think is a very important one to practice. But I forgot what else I was going to say. It'll probably come back. That's okay. <laughs> I am a person that like, I like to feel full after mm-hmm. I eat. There's mm-hmm. something about feeling full. And like, this is, you know, just a little personal story is growing up. We didn't always have a lot of food in the house. I remember there were times where we would be hungry going to bed. 
And that's something for me that is a really big, like it's, it's an emotional issue that I've worked through already with a therapist. And Mm -hmm. it's something where even to this day, when I am done with a meal, I like to feel at least satisfied, Mm -hmm. you know, or full where I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Now I can recognize that I can stop eating, but Mm -hmm. you're definitely not the only one there because I remember, you know, and sometimes like I've had clients that have dealt with that same issue where, you know, food was scarce growing up and they, you know, food is one of those things where I've had people, they go to Costco and they buy tons of food that they're never going to eat because at least they have it in the house, you know? So I think it goes a lot deeper than just, because it, it it can be a little bit, I, I don't really like using the word triggering, but I'm going to use it just for shits and gigs, I guess. But <laughs> we know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Like I think for people that have grown up with like food scarcity or food insecurity, I think that it brings up a lot of those emotions for people of not having food in the house. And I really want to like highlight that like restriction is not an option for some people. And I'm not just talking about food restriction. I'm also talking, which I mean, they go hand in hand, but also financial restriction. Like not everybody can afford to buy, you know, a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables because let's be real, like they go bad sometimes in order to have like a very, you know, whole minimally processed food diet. I remember when I tried paleo, oh my gosh, the amount of money I had to spend on groceries because I had to eat everything before it went bad. I was going to the grocery store anywhere between two to three times a week. And I wanted to talk about that just briefly because a lot of the times when people are overeating, they're not overeating bananas. They're not overeating strawberries. They're not overeating fucking carrots. That like, that's something I think that is really important to talk about is that some people the only food that they have in their house are foods that taste really good. They're hyper palatable. They're higher, they're higher in calories. And a lot of times people will buy this food because it's easier financially for them. They're financially restricted or they do have food, you know, they've been restricted growing up where maybe there wasn't a lot of food around. And Mm -hmm. so it is okay for those listening. It is okay to know that if you are balling on a budget, You can buy things like frozen vegetables. You can buy things like canned vegetables. Oh, yeah. You know, canned meats. Like people are like, ugh, but like tuna fish, canned chicken, making chicken salads. You know, there are things that you can do to try to integrate this when you are financially or food restricted. Absolutely. We got a ton of canned veggies in the pantry right now. And it's so easy. It's so easy. Mm -hmm. And it is relatively cheap. And there is, for all the people fear-mongering and shaming about canned food. Go fuck yourself. Sorry, go fuck yourself. (laughs) I'm going to say it. It is is fine. It is helpful. It is so helpful. It really is. And I think another restriction that we've been taught is emotional restriction. Oh, yeah. Keep Mm -hmm. it together. Keep yourself together. You know, don't let... Don't cry. Stay strong. Yeah, you're so mature. You're such a mature kid. It's like, well, yeah, because you get mad at me if I'm not, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And really unpacking that shit because it plays such a role in everything we do. Oh, yeah. That's, That's often, you know, when I have clients that are emotional eaters, 
they have a really hard time talking about why mm-hmm. they decided to overeat. And I don't know if you've dealt with that, but it's like, hey, let's take a few steps back. Let's look at the antecedent to the behavior. Let's let's mm-hmm. look at what happened. Like, you know, what triggered you to feel like you needed to eat this? Pe- like this actually happened very recently with the client. It was daughter's birthday party and they had ice cream cake. And this person decided to have ice cream cake. And that was the trigger was the ice cream cake. And as soon as I ate that, I felt really, you know, like I needed to eat more. And it came down to, you know, growing up at birthdays, they didn't have cake. And so she felt like there was this, this need to eat more and more of it to where at night when everybody went to bed, she ate the rest of the cake. And it was so hard to distinguish that. It was like, well, I don't know. I don't know why I did it. And it's like, well, let's take a few steps back. And and it, honestly, like it's painful for people to reach those depths because you're opening up old wounds. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I always, I get the same response with a lot of clients. Like you just said, like they say, I don't know. Like, I'm like, well, what, why, why did this happen? Why do you think you overate? I don't know. And I always tell them like, it's okay not to know, but I do think it's important that we figure out why, right? Like we do need to kind of take a few steps back and really figure out why. And that might take a little bit of time. Might take a little bit like, you know, like you said, like digging up some of the deep wounds, you know, figuring out like why it is, but like you do know why it happened. It may have happened so quick that you don't even really realize it. But if we go back most of the time, you'll be able to uncover like why that actually happened. And I'm not saying that's going to be easy and it's going to be, you know, something that, you know, you'll, you'll want to do, but we need to start connecting those dots so then we can learn from it in the future. Because I always say we can't go back and change what just happened, but we can learn from it. So when it happens again, because a lot of times when these old behaviors are ingrained, they're going to happen a couple of times before we get used to it. So what can we do next time to prepare for it better? I love that you brought that up because a lot of times people think like, oh, I unpack that shit. So I'm never going to emotionally eat again. (laughs) And I wish. (laughs) (laughs) We're both like, uh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Sorry to tell you, but like, even as a coach, it still happens from time to time. Mm -hmm. Life transitions, things like that. Like Chase, I'm going through a move also, or I just recently went through a move Mm -hmm. as well if people were to think that I went through a a move and all of that without having even one slip up is funny because it's like, no, there were nights where I'm like, fuck this. I don't want to cook. I'm going to order pizza. (laughs) Screw it. I'm not going to deal with that, you know, and the the stress Mm -hmm. of it. And I think it's so important for people to know that just because you find the reason why doesn't mean it's never going to happen again. Like a mindset shift doesn't give you superpowers. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm crediting my client, my former client, Shar, for that one, if she's listening, because those are actually her words. And I even have it written. I'm showing Chase and Iris. I even have mm-hmm. it written on a sticky note because she had written it in one of her client check-ins. Like that was her realization. Her aha moment was just because you have a mindset shift and you realize something about yourself, it doesn't mean you have superpowers and you're never going to experience that again. That's so true. Yeah. I mean, it's just along the same lines. I mean, just to like speak about you know, we, at the beginning of this episode, we were talking a little bit about binge eating. And I always tell people like when it comes to that stuff, like when you're going through like a binge eating recovery and things like that, like it's not going to mean that you're never going to binge eat again. Like you may work through it. You may figure out exactly why you're binge eating. You may come up with all the solutions of why, you know, to prevent it. 
but it's probably going to happen again. But recovery from binge eating and progress with binge eating doesn't mean that it's never going to happen again. It might mean that you're binging less often. It might mean that you're having smaller binges. It might mean that you're catching yourself mid-binge and stopping. Like So it looks like multiple different progress. That is so huge. That is huge. I see people say, I caught myself mid-binge and I stopped. Mm-hmm. And then they go on to say how terrible they are because they still binge. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, wait, hold on a second. Yes. That is massive. You cannot just blow past that like it's nothing. Mm-hmm. It's huge. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And we're just smaller amounts. And binge eating doesn't always mean volume. You can have a small binge versus the big binge. But like at the end of the day, if you're having smaller binges, like you're still making progress. I've even told clients like having the discussion with your coach after the fact is still progress because, because before you probably would have kept it in the closet and acted like it never happened. Mm-hmm. And now Suffering we're having this, in silence. Uh, this, exactly. Yes. So now we're having this discussion. Actively dismantling that shame. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's huge. I was listening to a podcast and I, I can't remember which one it was now, but they were talking about, I think it was about binging. And the analogy that was given was kind of like missing an exit on the freeway. And every time you miss it and then you start to notice little things like, oh, there's that tree there. It's coming up like, oh, there's the sign. Oh, there's the other sign. Like, oh, there's that one weird rock. I know I'm going to have to, you know, turn my blinker on in a second. And the more you're aware of that and you can start to shift thoughts and actions when you see those signs that, you know, maybe an binge episode or an overeating episode is coming on eventually you don't miss the turn because you practice and you notice and you make decisions that alter the path and then it's just it just becomes easier not necessarily easy but easier yeah like you still have to turn off the exit but like a little bit easier like you have a heads up now yeah i love that oh well oh i remember that was um uh, Lindsay Parker's husband. Oh. That was a great episode. I can't remember. It's it's not the sugar, it's the dopamine is what it was called, which is a fantastic nice. episode. I'll link that in the notes. But what did we miss, Chase? What do you want to add? I just think it all goes back to I me. Mean, one that I always tell people, like, you know, just realize like this is a journey. It does not have a finish line. You know, I think that's something where, you know, with my journey, you know, I've lost a lot of weight and, you know, I've had the ups and the downs. And like you said in the very beginning with all of this, like it's a roller coaster. And like I keep bringing up, you know, like the how we're wording things is I even when and when I use the roller coaster analogy with people talking about their journey, I'm like, you know, roller coasters have their ups and downs, but they never fall off track. At least we hope not. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so they're not falling off track. So stop telling yourself that you're falling off track all the time. Like it's a down, it's going to come right back up and you're, you're going to get to where you need to go. So stop saying you're going off track, realize the journey and keep setting other goals for yourself. Because so many of us, I don't know, like me, like, you know, I had like this big weight loss goal. And once I got there, I just kind of like felt like, all right, now what? Like, <laughs> like, I just felt like I was done and I was like, all right, now I'm not I'm completely happy where I'm at. So it's like, what, what's next? And not that you can't ever be satisfied with where you're at. But I do think it's important to like look for that next goal for yourself, whether it's, you know, maybe it is like, you know, performance-based goals. Maybe it is aesthetic-based goals. 
maybe it's just going through life and maintaining your progress. Like, like have some sort of goal for yourself because realize that you're never done. There's always going to be another challenge. There's always going to be something else coming up. So look for that next mountain to climb and just start and take your time with it. Realize that this, this never ends. Yeah. It never ends and the track doesn't exist. Exactly. That's another identity I people give themselves all the time. So I just fall off track. I just fall off track all the time. It's like, well, what if you thought about it as there is no track? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and even the one of the assistant coaches that I uh, work with, uh, Nate, um, he used this great analogy the other day where it's like, you know, this journey is like walking down a path. You know, if you get off the path, all you have to do is take your foot and step right back onto the path. You don't have to go back to the very start of the trail. You right. can you you can step right back on and continue where you're at. Yeah. Or wander off and die in the woods. <laughs> Just- or that's it. <laughs> there are other alternatives. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for your time, Chase. This has been awesome. Tell people where they can find you and follow you and listen to your pod and all of that good stuff. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at changing underscore Chase. Have a podcast, the Chasing Health Podcast, or our Facebook group. Uh, which we recently just renamed is now Freedom from Bad Diets, Conquering Your Metabolism and Mindset. Love that. Love it. Awesome sauce. Well, thanks again. Really appreciate you. And for everybody else, we hope you have a great day. Well, Chase, we hope you have a great day too. But for our (laughs) listeners, have a great day. And we'll see you next time. Same time, same place. We love you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Tater Talks, two bitches talk fitness. If you enjoyed the show, let us know by writing a review, subscribing wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find me, Iris, on Instagram at Iris Deadlifts. And you can find me, Brooke, on Instagram at Get You a Brooke. We'll talk to you soon. Nice. Nice. <laughs>